steal this real quick. So for those of you who do not know who I am, uh, my name is Noah Gayoso, um, and I am actually the worship leader here at this church, not the pastor. Um, I know I'm too young to be the pastor here. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but the, the pastor of this church, uh, Robert Crumry, is currently, um, he may be traveling right now, but he was celebrating uh, his daughter's graduation this weekend, um, really beautiful. So he asked me to preach this Sunday morning in place while he was away, um, and I was, per usual, glad and always anxious to preach. Um, but I'm excited for what God has for us today, what God is going to bring forward to us today. We're going to be continuing our sermon series on the Holy Spirit called The Ordinary Church um, as we go through Acts here. And so, um, per usual, I always like to start off with a story. That's just the nature of the way I preach. Um, so I, I know for many of you growing up, or maybe even now still, you've been part of a team for something, something that's like brought you together to like do something, whether that be in high school, whether they be in college, or something of that nature. Um, so like a team, an example for me is the mariachi group I was a part of. I was a part of it in high school, I was a part of it in college. Here's a picture of us from the University of Texas, that's the UT mariachi group, um, after we played at a competition. Um, and it was great. I mean, uh, these teams really bring together people and that you prepare for either a competition or a show or something in the hopes of winning or just doing well, performing well, or making sure you put uh, your best out there. And so for us in the mariachi group, we practiced a ton together um, in the hopes of being state champion. That was the big thing in high school, wanting to be state champs. And it was because we all loved to play mariachi music and we all wanted to play that together um, and be there for each other to do that. However, um, and if you've been part of a team, you probably know that this bond was not strong enough all the time. Um, we would have fights within the group. People would be mean to each other at times or poke fun at each other. Um, or there would just be hurtful things that would be done to other members within the group. Um, and I believe it was because they, kinda, they saw their own gain, their own amusement as a greater cause than winning as a mariachi group. I mean, even after you win or after the competition is, is over, it's like what keeps you all together. It, it only kept us together for so long. I mean, even now, I don't play with this group anymore. I've graduated. Um, so it's very limited on its capability to actually bond people. There's a bit of it there, but it's limited in its capability to bring people together. As we're going to see here, though, the formation of the early church in Acts, we're going to look at what unifies us as a church, what unified them, and what unifies us now as a church that goes beyond cultural boundaries um, and is the greatest thing to rally behind. So if you walk away with one thing from today, just one thing that you remember, um, I hope that you remember this, in that it is we must respond to the Holy Spirit coming upon us, filling us up, and unifying us as one people, the new temple of God, where the Holy Spirit resides. So don't worry, I'm about to break all of that down right now. Um, so, but first, it's the beauty of this passage. Is there's a lot of context to set about what is happening, what is going on. And the beauty of this passage is that the passage does it itself. It's one of those where you don't have to go looking. Within the passage here, we see the stage set, starting from verse 1, uh, which says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, what is Pentecost? Now, when I read this, whenever I think of Pentecost, I only thought of this passage. 
and had no idea that it was something that was beyond that, that it was an actual like Jewish holiday that was celebrated. And so when I was doing my research, I found this out, um, and it really unlocked a lot of this past and, and saw so many beautiful things. So I wanted to do that for y'all as well. So what is Pentecost? Well, it is the bringing of the first fruits, or known as the festival of the first fruits, for the 50 days after Passover occurs. We see a description of this in Deuteronomy 26, 9 through 11. It says, And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So we see this is a celebration giving back to the Lord after Passover. If you don't know what Passover is, we celebrated that a couple weeks ago around Easter time. And I'd love to share with you the details of Passover, but that's a whole other rabbit hole to dive down. But that's another very significant Jewish holiday. So this happens 50 days after. And that's what this kind of celebration started off as. And as time has passed, it has evolved more and more so. So this eventually became the celebration of the receiving of the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, uh, on Mount Sinai, that also conveniently, not conveniently, very purposely given by God, landed 50 days after Passover on this time of Pentecost. This is also where they, we, we finally see the Israel, Israelite people really become a nation as well at this moment, um, because before they were just families together, and they grew within Egypt and grew and grew, and now this is them coming together being like, God is here. We have our first five books of the Bible. We're a nation now, not just a bunch of families traveling together uh, from the same line. And so we see that Pentecost holds a lot of the significance of occurring after Passover, um, them becoming a nation now, um, receiving the Torah. Um, so that's, that's what Pentecost is. It's that celebration that occurs. Um, and so in bringing it to this time now, um, the way Jewish people celebrated it was they would all come back to Jerusalem to come celebrate to this festival of the first fruits. Because um, at this time, the Jewish people are, are scattered across the world due to various reasons, whether because they were conquered or they trying to escape persecution or whatever it is, they're scattered across the world. So that is what is happening um, here at Pentecost is Jewish people are gathering in Jerusalem. Keep a note of that. I'm going to break that down a little bit more on the significance of that, but just keep in mind um, what is going on there. Next, we see even more context given of the absoluteness of God's presence here. Uh, we see that in verses 2 through 3, where it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they, the disciples, the apostles, were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So hearing this, you may just, and I know initially when I, I heard this growing up, I was like, oh, this just crazy thing that happened. Um, surely God was there because how else can you explain uh, what is happening here? But there's a lot more significance on, on what is used to actually show the presence of God. That again also points back to some of the moments described um, earlier with Pentecost and how this shows the absolute presence of God. This is not just some weird freak thing. This is God is present here. And so these physical signs being given, the rushing wind and the tongues of fire um, are 
not, or, not just random. We see um, similar signs um, when Moses is on Mount Sinai uh, receiving the Ten Commandments, similar signs of God's presence. We see this in Exodus 19, 16 through 18. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. When Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So this is the first example that we see. is like, okay, this wind, this loud, this fire um, is an example of God's presence. But this is also a repeated thing for the Jewish people. We see again when the tabernacle or the temple of God is built. It's shown to show the presence of God within the tabernacle. We see this in Exodus 40, 34-38. says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So again, we see this loudness, we see the smoke, we see the flames, we see all this happening again. We even see at the end of that verse in Exodus where it says, all the house of Israel, uh, it was in the sight of all the house of Israel. This is a thing that all Jewish people are aware of um, in that. Yes, when the tabernacle was built up, this is what God's presence looked like there. It wasn't like someone missed out and was like, oh, why is there cloud and fire there? It's very clearly God's presence is in there. We're not moving the tabernacle right now. Once that's gone, we move the tabernacle as we travel. And so um, we begin to see this happen again among the apostles with this rushing wind that filled the house and the divided tongues of fire. Um, even a sound like a even it describes a sound like a mighty rushing wind. We see this occur again amongst the apostles. This is not a difficult thing for them to recognize as being, this is God's presence here. This is not just some freak accident. Like they've seen this before, they know this. And so, um, which also gives a, a, a cool like clue into this continuing that covenant uh, that the Israelite people made with God. Because these are moments where that occurs, where you, like I said, they receive the first five books of the Torah, they become a nation, and that's the extension of the covenant with Abraham. And then you have the covenant within the temple of God that is formed. And so this is an extension of that. This is God also showing that this is continuing, this is moving on. So God is present. I think we can see that very clearly. The Jewish people saw that clearly. And the apostles recognize this as the moment that they have been waiting for uh, as they are now filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles become vessels for the Holy Spirit, similarly in that we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to, to hear this and think that that's exclusive to the apostles. This is also a description of what happens to us as we follow God and choose to follow him. So we see this in verse four. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, so this is that moment that Pastor Robert described last week as he was going through Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1-5, we see, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is, Jesus says this, then he ascends. And then now, a couple days later, as he said, 
this moment occurs. Um, now, what does this mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I can say that, and you're like, cool, I have no idea what that actually means or what that does. Um, well, let's look back at what we saw in Exodus with the tabernacle, showing the absolute of God's presence there. That's the temple of God where God resides now. And now he's using these same signs with the disciples and the apostles, showing that the presence of God now resides in them. They are now the temple of God where people come and experience God's presence. It's no longer having to step into this building. It's now among the people that follow who God is. It's where people can experience him. A great way to like think of this, um, I thought of my roommate, Ren, um, who's actually not here this morning because he is at work um, as an EMT. That's what he does. Um, and I get to have a lot of conversations with him about his work and what they do. He censors it a lot for me, which I am very grateful for because um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that he has to deal with. Uh, but I very much get like the gist from all these conversations of his job, and it's very much to keep people alive and get them to the hospital. That's the droll. That's the uh, job of an EMT. It's like, I'm just going to keep you alive and get you to this location. And we work similarly in this, in that we are vessels of God. We are filled with God's presence. We are not God. We are filled with his presence, but this does not make us God. We are equipped the tools needed to bring people to God where they are saved. Um, but we are where we can experience that immediate care um, of God's presence. Similarly, how the EMT trucks, as we see an example here, they're loaded with equipment here. Um, they are given so much stuff here to keep people alive. But that's not meant to actually save people. This is supposed to keep them alive till they get to the hospital. So similarly, we're equipped with these tools. We're equipped with God's presence to do this. We're not throwing someone in the back of our pickup truck and driving them over there and saying, good luck, stay alive while you get to the hospital. We're like, no, we're going to have these tools of God's presence um, to, to help you, bring you to God, to where you can be fully saved. Similarly to the EMTs, they bring the people to the hospital to be saved there. That is where saving actually happens. So that's really what it means to be filled with God's presence is we have him with us so that we can bring people to him. We can bring them to the person who can actually save them because that's not what we do. Um, we're here to be where people experience God's presence. Now, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what they actually do now that they are filled with it. So we see this in verses five through eight. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now we see two responses here. The first one may seem a little bit hidden because the other one seems very obvious. Um... But first, we see a response from the apostles, and then we see a response from those who are gathered here, um, the Jewish people gathered there. So let's first look at the apostles' response to the Holy Spirit gifting them. We see them, as it tells here, speaking immediately with the people in Jerusalem. We see that even in verse 4, where it says, and, the Holy, uh, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Continued on um, in verses 5 through 8. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're immediately speaking. They're not like, oh, cool, we have the Holy Spirit now. Um, now we can form a plan. They immediately start speaking, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the people are hearing them speak. Um, because again, the apostles recognize this as the moment that Jesus was telling them about when they were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but the moment in Acts 1.8, which I'll, I'll read later, of going to the nations um, to share the gospel. Um, so this is what our response really should be as believers to the Holy Spirit, um, is we see his presence and we need to act on it immediately. It's not a, Holy Spirit's come upon us, okay, let me form a plan, do this and do it on my timing. We're going to see a lot here about the Spirit's timing and how it knows best on when it's time to act, when it's time to move, when it's time to go. Uh, and so this is what our response should be as believers to the Holy Spirit, to be being filled up with the Holy Spirit, is seeing when the Spirit is moving and act on it immediately. This can look different in a myriad of ways. I've had a friend who, for him, this looked like um, he works for a, uh, a tech company, and so, you know, trying to share with his coworkers, and most of the time you hear that and you, you know, think the other people on your team, the other people you work alongside with, um, but as he went to the restroom and then left the restroom, he saw the janitor there working and just felt this need to talk to the janitor and share the gospel with him. And so he was like, this seems weird, but I'm going to go do it because I feel called to this right now. Um, and so he talks to the janitor, gets to build a relationship with him, get to share the gospel with him. Um, so it's not always something that we're like, oh, this is the person I'm going to speak with. No one thinks I'm going to go work at this big tech company to share the gospel with the janitor. It's like maybe I'm going to share with the other people on my team. Maybe I can get even higher up, share with some of the CEOs or something and really transform the company. But the janitor is not going to transform the company. But the spirit's like, no, at this moment, that's who you're supposed to share with. That is who you're supposed to be among. Um, so to respond to the Holy Spirit, we need to recognize when the Spirit is moving. Of like, okay, I want to respond. How do I know what it looks like to actually see the Spirit move? Because um, I don't know about y'all, but I haven't seen fire and wind above my head. Um, so that's at least not how I've seen the Spirit move. Um, so it's part of not limiting it to only that experience of seeing how the Spirit moves. It's really what the Spirit provided for the Jewish people at the time. But the Spirit moves in myriad other ways. Um, and we see that within the Bible. Um, we see the Holy Spirit move in, in crazy and miraculous ways. We're going to keep seeing that in the book of Acts as we see this early church grow. Um, but we just, it's just very absolute in, in seeing its presence. Um, I mean, I saw the Spirit move when I did college ministry um, at the Baptist Student Ministry and that one of my jobs was to bring in students into the organization, Christian students who want to be part of community. So that means like going out, tabling, and um, trying to introduce myself to students and see who's interested. And I would literally have students just walk into the building, people I had never met before and put no effort into actually meeting. And they just showed up. And I said, this is what the place is. And they said, awesome, I'm a Christian looking for community. And I said, well, this is the place. I'm very excited you're here. Um, and for me, I was like, I literally did nothing for this. The Spirit moved in this. And it was a recognition of the Spirit moving um, in my obedience to this role. Um, Ellen shared a story earlier today um, of some of our people who are on a trip right now to South Asia. 
how they even had an instance where their flight got canceled, and then there was an open flight with exactly four seats for the four of them to jump on board. Um, I don't think that's coincidence. I think it's very much the spirit moving to get them to where they need to go um, and be present and providing there. And who knows, maybe they had an opportunity to share the gospel on the plane. I don't know. I'll hear back from them when they get back. Um, but I'm excited to hear what's going on over there. And so we see this, we see how the spirit moves. Again, if you want to see more of this, I just spend time in the word, reading the Bible. You see the spirit move all over the place from front cover to back cover. It's, it's all there. You can constantly see different ways that the spirit moves among his people. So that's the response of the apostles responding to the Holy Spirit come upon us. We now see a response of those who were not following Jesus um, to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So again, verses 5 through 8 says, Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all the, the, these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So, the apostles were in one place, and now we see others in Jerusalem hearing the Spirit move and responding to it. Um, they are seeing people outside of their culture coming into their culture. Now, this is still Jewish people. That's, an, that's a good note to, to make here, because we're going to see later on in Acts of this transition from only sharing with Jewish people to now sharing with the Gentiles. Um, but this is still, like I said, Jewish people from other nations as they are spread out and have only gathered here for this moment of Pentecost. So we see God cross cultures here. And it's the first thing we see the Holy Spirit empower the gospels, empower the uh, apostles to do. Um, this is that living out, that symbolic view that we find in Acts 1.8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it's the symbolic view of a church being built upon people from many nations and many cultures. And like I said, this is the first thing we see the Holy Spirit do among them. This is not a, you're going to go to the nations. So in 10 years, because there was no flying back then, you'll eventually get to the other side of the world and be able to share with those people. This is an immediacy of God saying, you're going to go to the nations. So in that few days when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the nations will also come to you. We see the Spirit do this um, in verse 6 there. And it says that the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was, each of them hearing them speak in his own language. Um, so we see that it was the sound that brought them together. They hear the sound and they hear the apostles talking and they're like, what is going on here? And as we've established, as we've seen there, that comes from the Holy Spirit. So not only is the Spirit creating the opportunity to share the gospel in communication, the Holy Spirit is also creating the environment for this to occur. The Holy Spirit is not just like, okay, now you can go and share with these people. It's like, I'm also going to bring these people to you. Or, as we can see later on in Acts, um, I'm going to bring you to these people. So it's not just a reliance on the Spirit to um, communicate and to share the gospel, to be filled and have these conversations, but it's also reliance on the Spirit that the Spirit's going to open these doors, these opportunities, these moments to share the gospel with them. Now, some, I know sometimes we hear the call to share with the nations, and we think it is impossible. 
We cannot limit the power of the Spirit to just communicating with these nations. We need to rely on the Spirit to set up the environment. Um, again, pointing back to this is Pentecost happening. This is not a coincidence that the Spirit comes upon them on the day of Pentecost. This is not just, oh, it just happened to be when all the Jewish people were gathered. It's very much intentionally part of God's plan of Jewish people are gathered now from every nation, um, from other nations, not every nation, from other nations, and now I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit to them to share with them so that this can spread and the church can be founded upon this. So now let's look actually at what the response, um, or we will see the response to the Holy Spirit. Um, we see an even, even greater response to actually them sharing the gospel in the latter parts of Acts chapter 2. Um, as Peter preaches his sermon and we see people respond in repentance and baptism, we see this in Acts 2.41 where it says, those who received his, those being Peter's words, were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the response for those who do not know Jesus, who are not filled with the Holy Spirit um, and get to be in his presence. You can see something as crazy as 3,000 souls being saved, which is a lot of people. A lot of people. It's a beautiful thing to see. That's something I hope to see one day. We'll see if I actually get to see it. Um, but to see that many people respond to the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, that's something I can't do out of my own power. I absolutely need the Holy Spirit to do. And we see that people can respond in that way to what the Spirit is doing. So again, we see two things here from the Holy Spirit. We see the gospel not only proclaimed, but a demonstration that this comes from God. Again, the fire and the wind. We also see later in Acts 2, a receptivity to what is happening. Um, as it even says in Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So that's even more so on an emphasis on this is a dramatic moment. This is not a, that sounds good. We'll follow this. It's like, no, my life is utterly changing now. I, am, I need to have this. It's this dramatic change that the Spirit is causing those to experience. Now let's actually see what this crazy work that the Spirit has done in Acts 2, um, what is actually going on here, um, to actually see among what those 3,000 souls actually looked like. We see that in verses 8 through 11. It says, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, you're probably wondering, maybe wondering, as I did, of why did all these nations get listed out? We could have just said many nations heard. Um, but I think it's very much key to showing the living out a reflection of what is found, the call that Jesus gives the apostles in Acts 1.8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so we're seeing this lived out with Jerusalem being the Jewish people that are gathered there. That one is a very obvious one, but we see in Judea, the nation of Israel, also being represented here as the people from Mesopotamia and Judea, explicitly mentioned there, encompass that nation of Israel. It says, and Samaria, which as we, as we analyze that verse, we also see that as the enemies of the Israelite people. 
um, and a call to share with our own enemies. And we see Israelites' enemies there. I mean, we see Rome, we see Parthians, we see Medes and Elamites, all parts of the Roman Empire who are highly oppressing them, and part of the reason why they're so scattered right now, if not one of the biggest reasons. And then we also see the ends of the earth represented here. We see Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, which if you want to also look at that as an enemy, um, as found in the Old Testament, it can also be considered as that as well. Cyrene, Cretans, Arabians. So we see people from all over. So we see a living out of this, of like even Jesus saying, you're going to go to the nations, and I'm bringing the nations to you, and I'm bringing this exact representation that I described to you. I'm not just bringing the Jewish people. I'm not even just bringing the people within Rome. I'm bringing the people that are from the ends of the earth, from places like Asia, from the Arabians, the Cretans, Cyrene. These are people they don't typically interact with, but for this one instance that the Spirit ordains, they do. They get to hear the gospel. And so we see that breakdown of the 3,000 souls saved. We see the Holy Spirit living out the command of Jesus um, that Jesus also lived out when he walked the earth. So this is not a new thing for the apostles, too. They got to see this and be taught this. We see Jesus live this out, and I'm going to go through these examples found in the book of John. Um, we, sh- we see him share with the disciples, his own people. We see the religious leaders, the extended part of the nation. We see uh, the Samaritan woman, a person from Samaria. We even see him share with one of his enemies. If you look at the beginning of John, John, the whole chapter of John 1 is him gathering the disciples together, him calling them together um, to be the people that he teaches. Uh, we see uh, an example of him sharing with the religious leaders in John 3 as we see um, the Pharisee Nicodemus approach him and he tells him that he needs to be born again. We see him share with the Samaritan woman um, as she's at the well um, and tells her about her whole life and says that, he can, that she can find living water with her. And then we even see in John chapter 18, which is when Jesus, before he's crucified, when he's being tried by Pilate, even at this moment where he's about to go die, he shares the gospel with Pilate and proclaiming who he is um, and that the world needs him. We see him teach this explicitly even to the disciples as well as he lives this out. We see this in uh, John 14, first and 16 through 17, which says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's continued in verses 25 through 27, which says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, never let them be afraid. So he even teaches them this, this moment of the Spirit's going to come upon you and allow you to share with these people. He's connecting this when the Spirit comes upon you as I taught you, and that you will have remembrance of what I've taught you. You will have peace that you should not be afraid when the Spirit comes upon you. And then in Acts 1.8, we see that call to, to do that, to go to the nation. I think you, you can't look at this and not see God's heart for the nations to share with everyone on the earth. Because um, not only does he give this command, but he acts on it too. He draws the nations to the disciples to begin the births of the first church. This is his design from the beginning, that churches 
would be cross-cultural. So we see that in the birth of this first church. We also see that, again, in Jesus' life as the people that followed him um, were not just Jewish people. They were also Gentiles. I mean, we even see that with the birth of the nation of Israel. Um, the story of Rahab, who is in the lineage of Jesus. She was not a Jewish person. Um, and yet the nation is still built through her. So we see this incredible thing of all of them becoming one people as they were all able to hear the mighty works of God. If you're wondering what the mighty works of God is, that's the gospel. That is what is they are hearing. They are brought together by the Holy Spirit. And we see them transformed again in Acts 2.41. I'm going to repeat this over and over because this is a remarkable verse. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit did that. And they brought them together under one banner. And that is Christ. That is the thing that unifies them. These people from other nations, other cultures. Because um, even though they're Jewish people, they're very much like living amongst these other cultures. That's what, the, that's what these languages that they're hearing so much so that, yes, they, they know what they need to know as Jewish people, but it's become like an amalgamation of mixing of cultures, and they're able to hear it from those cultures as well. We see this coming together, even though from separate places. In verse 12, when it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And if you keep reading in Acts chapter 2, they get their response to this question from Peter. Um, and I suggest you read the rest of Acts 2. We're going to kind of skip over it, um, as Robert's going to preach about the end of Acts 2 next week. But if you want to see a beautiful gospel presentation by Peter given, I suggest you continue reading Acts 2 because it is a remarkable gospel presentation. But it says they were all amazed and perplexed by this. And I think, I think it's just beautiful to see the Holy Spirit move in ways that do not make sense and can only be seen as the Holy Spirit moving, of gathering the nations, sharing with the nations, living this thing that um, Robert has been describing us to us of transracial, transcultural, transnational, um, just going beyond all these boundaries to have the gospel shared. Now, I don't want you to hear this and think, oh, so if I share the gospel immediately, everyone's going to be saved. I'm going to save 3,000 souls um, if I just, you know, go in front of the Capitol and proclaim the gospel. Maybe that will occur. Um, we also see a glimpse of what some of the other responses may be to seeing the Holy Spirit. Um, seeing people who are trying to give their own explanation for what is as occurring, because they're like, what's happening? I don't know what this is. Um, we see that at the end of the passage in verse 13, where it says, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They thought they were drunk and ridiculed them. They're like, there's no other explanation for how they're able to somehow speak in this other language, other than maybe they're just so drunk out of their mind that they're able to do this. It's like, what other explanation could there be? Luckily, we also see Peter respond to them as well in Acts 2. Again, the Spirit moved among them. So we see them filled up with the Holy Spirit. We see them respond to the Holy Spirit, both the apostles and those who do not know who Jesus is. And then we see them unified as one banner, even though there are many nations, as one banner of we all choose to follow Christ. So what does that mean for us? How do we live that out? Because that's part of the hope of looking at this, is we want to live that out as a church, um, as, someone, as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, 
people who respond to the Holy Spirit moving um, and are unified in that, that we continue to love and share with each other and care for each other in that. How do we do that? First, how do we go to the process of seeing the Spirit move and responding and being unified by it? We can see and be dependent on the Spirit by some of the practices we talked about a bit ago in Matthew as we were going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about practices such as fasting and praying. I think just taking the time to be with God and even having, like fasting is that physical dependence on who God is. Saying, I'm going to now actually use this as a reminder to look towards you and be dependent on the Spirit. Again, as we looked here, not only to communicate, but to create this environment. And praying to God that this would occur, that this happened. And as I mentioned earlier, spending time in his word is a great way to see what that can look like in a myriad of ways. A way that we can unify each other, we can be unified in this, um, is sharing the gospel with each other. Proclaiming the gospel in each other's lives. The gospel is not just meant for those who do not know Jesus. It's something that we live in continually. I would encourage you all to call out how we see God moving in each other's lives and point it to the Holy Spirit. To see, I recognize the Spirit moving in your life. I see what the Spirit is doing in you. And I want to celebrate that because the Spirit is using you in miraculous ways and you're being obedient to be unified by it. And of course, you can't look at all this and not say, go share the gospel. I'm, that is one of the more obvious takeaways, I think, from this, is to go share the gospel to all nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. To share the gospel um, that we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior. God saw that and sent his Son to live a perfect life among us, undeserving of our punishment for our sin, which is death, and then dying a sinner's death as payment for us and then conquering death three days later as he rose again so that we can have eternal life with him if we accept that we have a relationship with him. We need to share this message with the nations, with everyone around us in the power that the Holy Spirit gives. I want to give you all even a special encouragement this morning to take special effort to cross cultures to share the gospel to be in a culture that you may not know or is just outside your cultural norms. I think it's a great way to see dependence on the Holy Spirit, being I know nothing of these people and I want to share the gospel with them, so I'm going to let the Holy Spirit press me forward in this. Um, and there's just crazy things that you can see from having interactions like that. I know whenever I ask someone, have you heard of Jesus? And they say, no. Like, not a, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. I'm like, how, you, you, what? I, you need to hear this message now. Because you don't even, right now, you don't even have a choice. You don't even know that, you, that this is offered to you. I need to share this with you now. So I, I want you to try to take that special effort to cross cultures, to try to spread, spread the gospel to the nations, um, that we may be a church founded on the nations, which has been a beautiful thing for me, I think, being here is already seeing that, seeing people from other cultures, from other nations, um, other races, being part of this church, um, to be part of building it up and seeing the Spirit move and respond to it. We're reminded of this gospel message every time we come 
to the table to take communion. Um, that Jesus, as he had this last Passover meal with his disciples, um, he said that this was his body that was going to be broken in that punishment for death um, and that it would be broken for us. And so as we take this, we're reminded of that, of all that that occurred. Um, and that this is one of the messages we need to share and that Christ died for us. Christ died for you, especially. Not only that, but his blood was also shed for us um, so that we may have eternal life with him. So we take this in remembrance that this is the message um, also that we need to share with others. Um, and part of what unifies us is part of why we take it every Sunday. So we may be unified in this aspect of we needed this and Christ did this for us. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we'll uh, go through this process of taking communion. God, we are so grateful for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us up and loves us um, and empowers us to go share this incredible message of the gospel that everyone from every nation needs to hear. So I pray that we go and do that, that you would press on our hearts the people that we need to share with in our lives or even the places we need to go to share um, the gospel with them. So, again, we are grateful that we as a church are unified by that, that that is what brings us together. Um, and that is the thing, a bond. The spirit will never go away, a bond that will not break, Father. So, we live in that, and we love you, and thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.